0: You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to The Perth Property Show. My name is Trent Fleskins, your host. As always, today we have Damon Sugden back in the studio. You've been in a few times in the last couple of months, Damon, but uh, uh, I get you in because you're a good chat. You're, uh, you're a fun guy to hang around with.
1: Always enjoy coming in for a chat, Trent.
0: Mate, we're talking about rent vesting today. It's been something we've referenced over the last couple of years. We haven't done a deep dive into why you do it and how it works, what the pros and cons are, both on a financial and a lifestyle situation. But we've had a a few people calling us recently saying, "Oh, we'd like to invest in property and they don't have any free equity outside of the 80% loan to value ratio that a bank would want on their home. They've got equity in their home, but no more Uh, not really much more than you would need just to have that loan without paying lender's mortgage insurance. So, for example, they have a $500,000 house with a $400,000 loan, therefore, they'll get $100,000 in equity, but none of that they can use on an investment. The answer to that is rent vesting. The idea there is that whilst you uh, might not have the free equity with the house that you've currently got, that that you live in your home, you do have equity and you can unlock that by selling that property using that cash, equity that's now turned into cash, as your deposit for your investment, and you go rent. That's the point, right?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Um, and I think as all things, the actual structure of how you originally set yourself up in your initial property purchase is also just as important as how you're going to structure the the, the the next purchase, if that makes sense. Back on my soapbox about seeking advice from from the mortgage broker is probably a good starting point with this one when you're buying your first home and how you structure the loan and how you look to accelerate the repayments of that. Two options are, yep, let's make some additional repayments to the actual loan itself. Or we can set up a a home loan offset account, which can provide you a lot more flexibility and uh, I guess a little bit more protection from the banks as well if they not likely, but if they called you in exactly right. additional repayments.
0: Having that flexibility might mitigate your need to be a rent-fester by um, repaying more as an offset that you can use to take that cash out and be a deposit somewhere else. But let's say we don't have that. Let's say that all of our equity is tied up in our home and we're adamant that our home's not going anywhere and we want to invest somewhere else. Uh, we want to either do a development or passively invest somewhere, get some good positively geared rental income and because we know we can rent somewhere pretty cheap. The idea here is that we all have a cost of shelter. We all personally put a price on our head, if I can say it that way, to have a roof over our head. Uh, for example, I rent in a uh, two-bedroom, two-bathroom uh, apartment in Northbridge with my wife. We pay $350 a week. Now, that's pretty cheap. We've got a good deal there. Uh, I would like to think that that mortgage on that property that the owner has of our, our landlord is pretty is probably costing them about $500 a week. It was quite an expensive apartment. Now, we're winning in that situation because, one, we don't have to pay rates. Two, we don't have to pay maintenance. And three, we have the flexibility on a six-month or annual basis that if we want to up and move, we don't have to pay selling fees or uh, capital gains tax to to go somewhere else. And what we do is we use the cash that we do save, uh, that we do have, to invest in properties that have no connection to whether we'd like to live there or not. They're made purely for investment decisions, either as a development or a hold into the future. Now, there's some pros and cons to that, right? Owning your own home, a lot of people want to live in the home that they live in. They want to have that autonomy. They don't want to be told what to do. They don't want to have someone rifling through their house every two months as an inspection. And that's a decision personally you have to make. And when you have kids, I'm sure, Damon, you can impart here, uh, it, it can be pretty hard when you've got kids to, to rent if you otherwise financially wouldn't need to.
1: Yeah, the, owning a home can be a significant personal goal for a lot of people. And sometimes it makes a lot of financial sense for a family group to do that. For others like yourself, when you, especially you're on such a sweet deal, <laughs> yeah. it makes a lot of sense to, the, to, to go the other way. But there's emotional factors that can't come into play there. And it is simply, I own my home. I, I can't get I kicked get, out. Yep. I can't get kicked out provided I don't default on my mortgage payments. And it just gives me a sleep at night factor. I can do whatever I want to the property that's going to suit me personally without having to consult the landlord every week if I want to do something. So I think it's a, a way up of both the financial and the personal, emotional levers that there, are involved in this. They're two decisions. sides of a
0: coin, right? And I guess if you don't have to make that decision to be a rent investor, then uh, lucky for you, right? But in this situation we're talking about today where you've got limited equity, your servicing's fine, right? But you've got limited equity to go and purchase another property and you've made that choice that the property you've got isn't really working for you financially, and you're all about the financial outcome, then it's about divesting the assets that aren't working for you and reinvesting into assets that will work for you. And that's what rent vesting is is, is, as as an option, right? So it also helps on your tax, as a tax effective way of having uh, having debt. For example, an owner-occupied property where you're using that debt to invest. Because every home that we have, even if we live in it, that's still an investment, right? But it's not tax deductible.
1: And conversely, nor is it tax payable or taxable. Um, When you do sell it, you you get the... um, And there's a benefit as well, right? CGT free there.
0: If your home is a good investment as well, it's fantastic because you're not paying capital gains tax. However, if it's not a great investment, on the flip side then uh, there won't be much capital gains tax to pay because you wouldn't have made much capital gains and you're not getting any uh, deductions on interest payments there. With the mortgage on an investment property, uh, if you own that property for over 12 months, you'll have a 50% discount on the capital gains uh, that you'll pay tax on, which is which is helpful. But also, you'll have tax deductibility up, you know, still at this stage with regards to negative gearing and things like that on your interest payments, something that you can't get uh, with your owner-occupied loan. So when it comes to the idea of uh, maximizing the efficiency of your tax situation when it, with regards to the allocation of your debt, because it's all debt, whether it's your home or an investment property, the investment property is working, right?
1: Yeah, and the, the flip side of the, the rent vesting equation is oh, a lot of our clients will, maybe they've successfully paid off for of the majority of, of their home, Oh, there is a loan and they've been making repayments, as I alluded to before, directly into the loan balance. And it's like, okay, well, kids are growing, time to, to upgrade, upsize the home. But they're really keen on keeping the original homes, their first home, a lot of memories there. They want some sort of connection with it. So they think, well, great, let's convert that into an investment property. So they pull out the additional loan repayments that they've been making into their existing home use that as a deposit on the new family home, thinking, okay, well, I'll rent out the old home and I'll get a tax deduction on the, loan, the interest payments on the, the original house. Well, the ATO have a, a pretty clear view on that from my understanding is that, oh, hang on, you've taken those funds out and used the capital for a lifestyle investment uh we're not going to give you a deduction on that interest. So you, you can get a bit hamstrung unless you've established that offset account principle we talked about before, where as opposed to making additional repayments to the loan itself, you plough all your savings into the offset account. And that gives you absolute freedom to do whatever you want with that capital. You can take it out, use the deposit for the new home, and then you are effectively reactivating tax-effective debt because for the Because you haven't been reducing the limit.
0: You've only been reducing the balance over that time. Correct, Yeah. yeah. That's really important to note because the second you change the nature of that property from being an owner-occupied property to an investment property, that again would would restart uh, the capital gains tax implications too, from my understanding. So there's lots of implications there if you're looking to not be a rent investor and maybe retain that old property. It's not as, as clear cut when it comes to... The, the ATO is pretty smart these days. They will <laughs> find any
1: opportunity to tax you where they can. But they they are fairly generous and they'll give you a six-year window. So from the time that you actually move out of the the existing home and convert that into an investment property, if you sold it within that six-year window, it could still be treated as your your primary residence and your CGT free, um, which is a handy one to know. But really good advice to get a valuation when you do convert it and get a valuation at the end of that six-year window.
0: It's it's beneficial because most cycles would cross a six-year time frame so you'd have an opportunity to sell it. Maybe you've decided to move out of your existing home at the bottom of the market because you see an opportunity to, you don't wanna sell, right? You don't wanna rent vest uh, and you see an opportunity to buy that new home at the bottom of the market but you don't wanna sell, you don't need to sell right now. So you wanna keep that property until maybe it's at the top of the market. I guess that cool discount that the ATO does give is that it allows you that six years once you've lived in there to rent it out, sell it at the top of the market, and not pay uh, capital gains tax that's that's probably a really good way to wrangle the cycle if you can to hedge your bets and not really have to do that change out at the bottom of the market that a lot of people do especially in the last year in Perth a lot of people have going, look, I just want to leave, but my house isn't worth what it used to be, but I'll cop it because I can buy a house that also isn't worth what it used to be and it'll be an equal change out, right? Yeah, You don't need to do that.
1: Yeah, indeed. But uh, the bigger picture for me in those situations is, well, look, you're converting this asset into an investment property. If you are starting with a clean sheet of paper, is this the ideal investment for you? Would you have purchased yeah, this as an investment property? If you property? just had cash in that, that cash in the bank, as opposed to it being tied up in a property, is that the investment that you would sink all of that capital into? Yeah. And if the answer is is no, maybe you should be seek, seeking uh, you know other avenues. Which is what I'm interested in from your perspective, Trent. You know, as a financial advisor, we are uh, consulted for what investments should look like for people. But I, I just get the feeling in the property space, we all think we're. Because we're so familiar with the asset class of property, we all think we can do it ourselves, mm. go the DIY route. What, what do you see in terms of like the, the value of a buyer's agent in that space? I understand it from wealth management and managed funds and shares and, and bonds and, and cash and the like. What is it from from your chair and, and looking out into the, the, the market?
0: Look, a question that, that uh, I ask my clients all the time and I ask myself in my own portfolio is if is if I didn't have this property already, would I buy it again? And the answer invariably for a lot of people who have passive holds is no. It's like, well, it didn't work out that well. You know, it hasn't grown that much, especially in Perth in the last 10 years, most things, probably 80% of properties haven't grown in value. They've probably lost value. So the answer would be no. The reason that most people hold onto their properties is because they feel like they've lost money because it used to be worth something more. The reality is it was never worth anything. It's not worth anything until you sell it. So. Uh, Having the humility and the astute pragmatism to make that sale, if it's what is holding you back from really moving forward with good financial decisions based on the fact that you've learned more, you've got better advisors around you now to, to uh, invest in better asset classes, uh, it really is something that I praise a lot of people on when they come to me and say, I recognize that the assets I've got. That are holding me back from getting more debt you know, and a loan for a new property or equity in that space to afford it is is the problem. I've sold them and I've made that decision. I know it's not what it used to be worth, but uh, it's you know it, this is what I need to do to move forward with my life. Rather than spend the next ten years trying to claw back a hundred grand, I'm going to do four property developments in that time and make uh, you know seven hundred thousand dollars in that mm. time. It, it takes a lot of a pragmatism to do that because it. It also is tied quite closely to our ego, to our, I guess, sense of, of self-worth. When you sell a property for lower than it used to be worth, you're sort of like accepting defeat, isn't
1: it? There's a lot of work that's been done in, in behavioral finance worlds and the, the impact of these emotions. And if you're feeling that pressure of, oh, gee, I'm selling at a loss here, you're not alone because this is it has been proven in psychological work that they've done is that this anchoring bias... We're all subject to it and we've all got our price, that price that we bought bought the property for or maybe the agent said, yeah, buy it, buy it now, it's going to be worth X in the future. And you, you ang- anchor that price in your own mind and it can become an obstacle. We all Do seem to anchor
0: on? the highest price.
1: <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, or the market peak, yeah. you know, pre-GFC. Yeah. I mean, property prices were fantastic and you benchmark yourself against that price constantly. Whereas to, to acknowledge that it's a human trait, this anchoring bias and... um, It's
0: paralyzing. It can be really paralyzing to uh, feel out of control that you just can't make that change to bring the value of that property back up to what it was and how wealthy you felt before and then to not have the uh, humility to cut that, cut your losses. It's not even a loss. Most of the time, it's still a gain. It's just not as much of a gain as you used to to thought you had. To be able to move forward, that's what I find is one of the biggest hurdles, the most significant issues with people's ability to really invest productively, efficiently, and move forward.
1: Yeah, and just stepping back on my, my soapbox, it gives you a really good chance just to assess what you want to achieve with your life. And if, back to, to your analogy, Trent, and what we're talking about, that blank sheet of paper, what is the mix of investments we actually need to be able to achieve what I want out of my life on a broader perspective, you know, if, uh, as opposed to just making as much money as quickly as possible, take a broader view take take a breath assess your goals and uh, make an informed decision with some good advice behind you a lot of people still
0: stick to the understanding or belief assumption that the more properties you have the richer you are now I would uh, and you see that on on the newspapers on the on the magazines 30 uh, year old has 45 properties he must be the richest guy ever he's always Got most of them in somewhere in West Sydney, somewhere you'd never want to live anyway. But and he's probably a, a, an LVR of 95% and is paying so much LMI, it's unbelievable. Uh, but uh, people also, I guess, uh, whenever they have less properties, if they've built worked really hard to get three or four properties and they sell one, they suddenly feel less rich or yeah, their status sure. is lower, sure. as if the number of properties they have is connected to their self worth. Uh, I can tell you what, there's a lot of people out there with one property paid off that have a, a lot more equity and a lot more savings and are worth a lot more than those people with 10 properties that are maybe at
1: 90%. Yeah, it's a real, real psychological game, isn't it? I guess in Perth, especially, we've got a rich history of a lot of family wealth has been created through property. So we've, we've also got that history behind us, what we hear uh, about people accumulating sizable property portfolios and how how successful we view them as. Whereas maybe the modern day approach is, yeah, property is important and you can create significant wealth and equity through it, but you need to also uh, explore other uh, other avenues that are available to you. Maybe property isn't going to provide you the highest expected return. Maybe there's something else. Maybe it is. But yeah, do do your numbers and do your research and take a balanced approach to it.
0: I think at the end of the day, we started this conversation talking about rent vesting and, and and segueing into a broader aspect of reassessing our portfolio on a dynamic basis. You've brought it in, tied it in at the end now to uh, whether property is the be-all and end-all for your portfolio. And that's why I like having you in, Damon, as a financial planner. It's it's important to diversify your investment strategy to get the outcome I would put my hand up and say I'm probably not as diversified as I should be I'm very long on property because I feel like that's where I'm most comfortable and most confident in understanding the asset I'm investing in Uh, but for those people who aren't professionals in what they invest in regardless of whether you have a financial planner or not I think there always needs to be that diversified backup plan. Property probably always is the most risky investment you make because you expect the highest returns, or you should at least, and and therefore if you're not getting the highest returns, what are you doing holding the riskiest assets? They either need to be working for you or get out. That's my opinion.
1: Yeah, and with such a large asset, the the transaction costs are really really quite onerous. So yeah, you do need to expect a higher rate of return You know, to be able to claw those transaction costs back and remunerate yourself for the risk that you're taking.
0: Damon, thank you very much for coming in, mate. Appreciate it. 18 minutes of gold, as always. Have a good uh, week and we'll speak to you soon. Cheers, Trent. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!